Hey church, great that you could be with us. As Robbie has said, fantastic that we can still gather online. We've had done this over 70 times that I've been informed uh, before the service. So that's a remarkable achievement. So thanks to everybody that's come together to make that possible. Those that are behind cameras, those who serve in the production area and the, and the music and the worship. And we're just so blessed to be a part of a church that has these resources. And it's great that we can bring the word of God to your homes in this way. As Robbie said at the start, my name's Steve and I'm also one of the pastors on the team. And it's a great privilege to be able to share from God's wonderful word today. And I trust that the word I'm able to bring today is able to bless you and encourage you in your faith and in your journey with God as we uh, look into this together. I'm really addressing the word from a book of the Bible. It's a small book, a short book, but with a very big story, a big theme. It's a story about a foreign woman in a foreign land doing all crazy things like uh, redeeming, uh, sorry, gleaning in the fields and there's a this concept of a kinsman, a redeemer and things like that. We're going to unpack that a little bit today. Of course, I'm referring to the book of Ruth. Now, Ruth, as I said, is a small book. It occurs, it's only the eighth book in the Bible. It occurs right there at that point after we've gone through the first five books from Genesis through to Deuteronomy. Then we're introduced to Joshua and Judges and then comes Ruth, just the eighth book of the Bible, four chapters in length, uh, a really obscure little story just inserted right there, but very strategically put there as I hope to be able to um, reveal to you today. As I mentioned, it comes straight after Judges. And if you've been following the Thrive Bible Reading Guide and uh, our cultural series that we've been on the last few weeks, themed around the book of Judges, you'll know that uh, starting from Genesis 3, there's been this constant decline of uh, humanity and depravity has come into uh, into the nation of Israel and that's really played out throughout the book of Judges and we hear this word repeated again and again that everybody seemed to do what was seemed right in their own eyes and we see that depravity just uh, going down and down and so we get very toward the end if you've been following it you will have read this story about this guy in the in the um, tribe of Benjamin an old guy who it's just horrendous what goes on and the story of treachery and of rape and of murder and of civil, uh, civil war and ultimately this mass abduction of 400 young women who were given to the, to the Benjamites. This nation was in absolute chaos. Depravity was its hallmark. And we get to the point, and I won't get into the details of what went on with this guy and his concubine. You need to read it yourself because I'm aware there's young kids watching this and we, this needs to be uh, pitched with our families in mind. But it was so horrendous. As this is what it was recorded in, Josh, in Judges 19, in the lead up to what we will read today in Ruth. It said this in 19 verse 30, no such deed had, has been done or seen from the day the children of Israel came up from the land of Egypt until this day. And then it says these, uh, these words as a, a warning, it says, consider it, confer or talk about it and speak up. In other words, such was their level of being appalled at the depravity in which they had come. These were God's people. They were the ones who were meant to be God's witnesses to the world around about them. But they'd finally gotten themselves to such a point where they're actually saying, hey, nothing like this has ever occurred before. We need to consider it. We need to confer. We need to meditate upon this and speak up so that nothing like this ever occurs again. And that's where a life that's devoid of God, when we've lost the plot, that's where it inevitably leads to. And that's where we encounter this wonderful story of Ruth. In the midst of such human depravity, God injects this little story about a woman 
a, a woman from a nation called Moab, not even an Israelite. It's played out in the humble little town of Bethlehem and of course we know that to be a very significant uh, town in the whole story of God's salvation story, the birthplace of course of our Lord Jesus Christ himself and it's here that the book of Ruth is introduced and we see this redemptive thread running throughout the Bible just as with judges and this uh, gradual decline of humanity towards greater and greater levels of depravity. God's salvation is never far away. So whenever things look like they're past that point of no return, there's those but God moments. Those but God moments, when those times when God reminds us that no matter the state of the human condition, there's no situation so dire that is outside God's reach and beyond God's redemption. As I mentioned Ruth is a Moabitess, she's an outsider, outside of the nation of Israel and she's coming from this nation of Moab, she was a, a, a distant relative of the Israelites, descended from Abraham's nephew Lot, that was the, the line in which the Moabites came through and so in that sense they were many generations apart but cousins, distant cousins but they were a group of people who were often at odds with the Israelites, often scrapping and fighting and getting into skirmishes and, and, and um, wars and various things with the nation of Israel. And the story starts with two women by the names of Ruth, which, of which the book is named, and Orpah. Now these two women marry these sons of a couple called Elimelech and Naomi. Now this couple had moved from Israel because of a famine Interestingly, the famine was not meant to be there. I mean, God was, this was a land of promise, right? And so, but they had to leave in order to go and um, uh, make a living. And so they gave up land, they moved away from there and they find themselves in Moab. And the two sons of Elimelech and Naomi marry these two women, uh, Ruth and Orpah. Now, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, Orpah's husband and Ruth's husband all die. And so it is that Naomi plans to return back to, back to Bethlehem, her place of origin, and she says to her two daughters-in-law to go back to their families. But we read in chapter 1 and verse 8, this is what Naomi says, but Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. May the Lord deal kindly with you. Right there in those words is a really significant motif that runs right through the book of Ruth, which is this issue, this whole concept of kindness. May the Lord deal kindly with you. But rather than turning away, Ruth forsakes everything to commit herself both to Naomi's God and to Naomi herself. She binds herself to Naomi and to the Lord in a covenant. And it's at this point that we encounter these very well-known verses, if you know, you're familiar with Ruth, and it's in Ruth verses, chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. It says, But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you, for where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. And where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried." May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. You see, it's in this exchange between Ruth and Naomi that 
is this major concept that is, runs through the entire book, which is this idea of covenant love and commitment. You know, and it's not just in that commitment shown by Ruth to Naomi, which is important, but far more significantly is this motif of God's covenant love with, for his people, which works its way out through this story, which we'll look into as we unpack it. See, when Naomi says to uh, Ruth, when she says, may the Lord deal kindly with you, there's a Hebrew word in that passage, which is chesed. Now, I'm not going to do that rough H breathing because it's just too hard to do, but we'll call it hesed for the sake of what we're preaching about today. Hesed, which is really rich in meaning. The Hebrew word for loving kindness, the, the word for steadfast love, as it's often translated in, into the English. There's a word which is really, really rich in meaning, and we'll unpack that a little bit today. It's quite unique in that sense to the Bible. In the New Testament, we often refer to the word agape, the Greek word, which is often translated as love, and it's it's used to describe that uh, 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 special kind of love, of, of unconditional love. And no doubt you've heard dozens of sermons and books if you've been in the church a, a, a long time, and you've come across this word agape and we often make quite a bit of it in terms of its uniqueness about the sacrificial nature of agape love but I think it's probably a little bit too much is said about that at times and we tend to try to distinguish it from other kinds of Greek words which also are used uh, to describe the kind of love that is uh, that God has for us. D.A. Carson, who's a uh, significant theologian, actually says when we get into that sort of space with this agape, we're into a bit of a word fallacy, is his words. He's, he's saying that, you know, yes, it's the concept about that, that we take up in the Gospel of John. We see it again in 1 John. But he said this idea of agape, it's much, much bigger than just one word. In fact, it's, I think the Hebrew word hesed is significantly richer and deeper, even in meaning, than the agape that we encounter in, in the New Testament. You know, this loving kindness, this steadfast love. In fact, it's a word which doesn't necessarily fit well into just one or two key English words. But in it, we're introduced to this incredible concept, this beautiful picture of a love that is both loyal and covenantal and it's steadfast and it's unending. I mean, these are the things which describe the very nature, the very essence, the very character of God himself. We see it in Psalm 136 in the repeated refrain, his steadfast love endures forever or his love endures forever as it repeats line after line. The same Hebrew word hesed is used there. And we also see it in Exodus 34 after uh, Moses had received the Sinai covenant. He comes down and, and only to find the, the children of Israel having made the golden calf and bowing down to it, an act of uh, great profanity and idolatry. And as Moses uh, reascends to the place of the Lord, the Lord uh, reintroduces a covenant to him again. And this is what it says there in Exodus 34. It says, The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow in anger and abounding in steadfast love. That's that word, hesed. And faithfulness, keeping steadfast love, there it is again, for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Hesed, 
steadfast love, loving kindness, that love which is faithful, loyal, covenantal, merciful, gracious, unending. It's that love that remains unwavering for a thousand generations and doesn't treat us as our sins would deserve. He forgives iniquity and transgression and in sin, it says, that's hesed. It describes God's very nature, his essence, his character, as I say. And it's undeserved. You know, it's not something we deserve. But God unites himself to his people and he gives us this gift of grace in spite of who, who we are and what we've done. And just like in the book of Judges where people had contemptuously and completely lost the plot, so we have from time to time lost the plot. Sometimes we've messed up. And yet God freely lavishes his loving kindness, his hesed on us again and again. Even though we sin repeatedly, again he comes. God doesn't turn away. God keeps his promise. God said he'll never leave us nor forsake us because he is committed. He's outworking his unilateral covenant, his promise toward us, his children. And yes, we don't deserve it. And yet he's bound himself to us with an oath. When God makes a promise, he keeps it. And all those positive attributes of God that are contained in that word hesed, his love, his covenant, his faithfulness, his mercy, his grace, his kindness, his loyalty. In other words, all those attributes of God. And this is not just some obligation or duty that God's doing. This is something because God has bound himself to us. He is fully, fully committed to loving us. That is the very nature. That is the perfection of the character of God being outworked toward us. And just like that uh, with Moses, when God had given them the Sinai covenant, which they had broken, making that golden calf, God makes a new covenant. He remains faithful and loyal and he does not break his hesed, his loving kindness. So let's go back to Ruth as we see the story being played out where this hesed, this loving kindness comes through again and again. See, Naomi, Naomi, as I said, introduces that theme when he says, may God deal kindly with you. But notice Ruth's response when she says, you know, your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Ruth is binding herself and mirroring God's commitment that he has to us. It's a very tangible picture of that. Now, Ruth is not like, you know, uh, Moses or Abraham or Noah or one of the great giants of the faith. She's just a very ordinary woman. And that's the remarkable thing about this story, where it is. Up till now, we've had all those giants of the faith. You can put Joshua in there if you like. But this is just a bunch of ordinary people. That's who Ruth and Naomi are, just a couple of average people living out life's normal challenges, experiencing death, famine, moving home, uh, family responsibilities, and so it goes. And in the midst of all of that, in the midst of all of those ordinary things amongst ordinary people, God is weaving his extraordinary design and plan. He is weaving his story of redemption through all those little incidental details. And that is what it is for us, of course. So we live ordinary lives. We just get on with things. We're just living out our ordinary, mundane, day-to-day -day lives. But in the midst of that, we don't see the miraculous working of God. God is working his extraordinary design even in the midst of our ordinary day-to-day -day lives. See, the story of the Bible and of God's working is that of loving kindness and faithfulness, of his hesed reaching out, reaching out and rolling out 
his redemption to a stubborn and a stiff-necked people, as we're told in the Bible again and again. That is judges, and God continues to redeem them and bring them back. And we see that ultimately fulfilled in our Lord Jesus Christ, the ultimate expression of Christ, our substitute. That is hesed. That is loving kindness. But we go through, we'll continue on in Ruth. See, Ruth then goes out and Ruth goes out gleaning in wheat fields of that which was left over of the harvest. And of that, that was something which God had given in the Levitical law, which was to care for the poor. This was before Centrelink was a, such a thing. They had no social welfare or anything like that. So, so they were completely relying on that. And God set this law up to care for people. That was hesed. That was loving kindness on the part of God. And so it is that um, uh, Ruth, Ruth goes out to glean in the field And she goes out to glean in a wheat field owned by a relative, a man by the name of Boaz. He was a godly man who shows great kindness, hesed. Here it is again. And so when Naomi finds out about how Ruth was blessed by Boaz, she praises God. And this is what she says in Ruth chapter 2 and verse 20. It says, May Boaz be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness, there it is again, has not forsaken the living or the dead. So with that in mind, that verse, let's go and just play a little deeper into chapter 2. and Let's read the little bit that precedes that statement by Naomi. Let's have a little peek into what's going on. Again, as I say, Ruth was going out to glean the leftover grain. And as a foreigner and with no husband in her life, she had no direct means of support. And I think in here there's echoes of the story of Jesus when he encounters the Canaanite woman. Again, a foreigner. And she says to Jesus, you know... Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the children's table. See, she wasn't expecting much from the Lord, but Jesus blessed her anyway. And so it is with Ruth. She's going out to glean in the field. She wasn't expecting much. Anything she was going to get from her activities that day was just going to be a bonus. And here we read in chapter 2. Let's go to verse 2 and read it together. It says, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favour. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. And as it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Fancy that, as it turned out. Don't you love those as it turns out that are in the Bible? You know, she's just going out there trying to get a feed. She's got no idea, but as a setup, God specializes in setups. As it turned out, it just so happened Here's this distant relative, a close relative rather, uh, a, a nephew of Elimelech, and he is there. And so God is working his purpose in the midst of all of this. So let's read on a little further from verse 4. So just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. And Boaz asked the overseer of the harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? Quite possibly, maybe I haven't got the emphasis on the right uh, syllables there, but perhaps it was a bit more like, who does that young woman belong to? Because he certainly noticed this young woman. But anyway, the overseer said, replied, she's the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me, don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. 
Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you're thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found favour in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? See, doesn't that sound familiar? For us who are once not a people of God, but now are a people of God. How is it that we who've experienced God's grace and his faithfulness, how is it that me, you, a foreigner, should be noticed by God and more than noticed, blessed, blessed beyond measure? See, that sort of special favour, that is hesed, that is loving kindness. Let's read on, verse 11. And Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you've done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. May I continue to find favour in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. You know, there are shades of the communion of the Lord right here. The communion table, as we share with Jesus and we were blessed beyond measure, we can't, Jesus would say, come over here, have some bread, dip it in the wine, share in the fellowship at the table with the Lord. But anyway, let's read on uh, from uh, verse 15. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate and she wanted all she wanted rather and had some left over. And as she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered and Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. And that's where Naomi makes that great statement about the kindness of Boaz that we read before. But it's a story that's so rich in theological motif, but particularly the salvation story, because Boaz is clearly a type of Jesus. And Ruth is like a picture of the church or us, the recipients of that kindness. We who are once foreigners and aliens from the kingdom of God, who like Ruth would say, you know, why have I found such favour in your eyes that you would notice me, a foreigner? And there's Boaz described in this story as a kinsman redeemer. Strange concept. But the kinsman redeemer, it was a role that a close relative would pay. See, when uh, Elimelech and Naomi had to leave uh, Bethlehem and head away, they had to give up the land upon which they were on in, in order to go to Moab. And the title deed for that land would have been given to the priest. And a kinsman redeemer was one who first had to be a kinsman, so a close relative. And, and he also had to be a person who was prepared to pay the price to, to redeem the land. Because what he needed to do was to get back that land and be able to give it back to the rightful owners. And it's just like Jesus in Revelation 5. We read of Jesus who takes the title deed, the scroll upon which was sealed. And remember it said there was a lamb who looked like it had been, he'd been slain. And it's, they said, who is worthy to take the scroll? In other words, who qualifies? Who is able to take the scroll? And of course, the lamb of God was. 
And Boaz, he was qualified. He was a close relative. But all, more than that, he needed to be able to pay the price. And of course, we know Jesus was the one who paid the price. He was the one who, with his own blood, sacrificed people from every tribe and tongue and nation. That is Hesed. That's God's loving kindness. That's his covenant faithfulness. That's his loyalty, loyalty his grace. That, my friends, is God. So let's go back to Boaz. He does so much more than just notice Ruth. He blesses her beyond measure. He tells her not just to glean in his field, but to actually not to glean anywhere else and not more than just pick up the bits that fall on the ground, but to glean amongst the cut sheaves. And more than that, he actually says, now come and eat with the workers. And at mealtime, Boaz says, come and eat at my table. Such blessing, such undeserved favour, such provision, such abundance that the foreigner is invited up to the table of the master and such rich symbolism, as I say, of the nature of God that he invites us to be at his table and share fellowship with him. And Naomi, is a, sorry, Ruth, as I say, is not just noticed, not just given enough, but blessed beyond measure. That is hesed. And notice Ruth's response. I'm going to go to the message paraphrase because I think it captures it so wonderfully. In Ruth chapter 2 and verse 13, this is what the message, how the message records Ruth's response. She said, oh, sir, to Boaz, such grace, such kindness, I don't deserve it. You've touched my heart. You've treated me like one of your own and I don't even belong here. Isn't that the only rightful response? One of gratitude, one of worship, one of thankfulness that we with our Lord Jesus would say, oh Lord, such grace, such kindness. I don't deserve it. You've touched my heart. You've treated me like one of your own and I don't even belong here, but such is the grace of God. He's put his very name on each and every one of us and called us to be his own. And that's our only fitting response is like, like Ruth is to worship and to give grace, gratitude and thankfulness. Because it's true, we don't belong here. But Jesus has touched our hearts and he's treated us like one of his own. Now the story goes on to record how Boaz and Ruth ultimately marry and they have a son and they name him Obed. And this child is offered to Naomi in continuation of that line of Elimelech because the kinsman redeemer is the one who's actually helped to continue that family line, which was the responsibility of the relatives to do so. And now the final piece in God's covenant love is revealed in chapter 4 in a genealogy of all things. I'm going to read it to you. It comes from Ruth chapter 4 and verse 16 onwards and says then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him and the women living there said Naomi has a son and they named him Obed he was the father of Jesse the father of David I mean what a line the father of David the man after God's own heart so we track there from Obed to Jesse to David but then it goes on it backs up the bus a little bit. It goes back to generations leading before that. Let's go back and read on from verse 18. It says, this then is the family line of Perez, in fact. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz. Here he is. Boaz, the father of Obed. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David. 
I mean, why back up the bus like that and bring in all those other names? There's actually a real important theological point to be made from that. And that's this, that not only is uh, the author of Ruth bringing this connection between David his great, the great, and his great-grandparents, uh, Boaz and Ruth, but he's taking it right back into the narrative of Genesis. And not only that, but taking it through David and on into the future hope of the prophets. And in verse 18, when it says in the NIV, this then is the family line of, and then in this case, Perez, in the Hebrew, that is the exact same phrase which appears 10 times in the book of Genesis and divides the book of Genesis into 10 parts, often rendered as these are the generations of, and dot, dot, dot goes on. And so it's this same identical phrase occurs 10 times in Genesis. It occurs again in Numbers 3 and chapter 1. And here in Ruth, chapter 4, this is the 12th time that it's used. 12th time. And 12, of course, is very symbolic, very important, hardly a coincidence that appears here in Ruth. And it's symbolic of the unified tribes of Israel. And the story is pointing to the future king of Israel, Jesus himself, who would uh, be the one to unify all of the tribes of Israel under one people, under him. And the passage we just read in Ruth, Ruth chapter 4, yes, we see this 10-person genealogy, we see a 10-person genealogy when we go from Perez through to David, and there are two other 10-person genealogies that also occur, occur in the Bible. They're in Genesis chapter 5, which tracks the lineage from, uh, from Adam to Noah, and there's another one in Genesis 11, which tracks it from Adam's son, uh, uh, Noah's son, rather, Shem, through to Abraham. In each case, we see a transition to a new age, as it did with, with Noah and then on to, with Abraham. So it will be, the message here, so it will be with King David, a new dynasty, a new age in God's people. And of course, David, or the son of David, in fact, is taken up as a key messianic table throughout the New Testament. So make no mistake, this story is much, much more than just a, a quaint little uh, recollection of a, a young girl who finds love and receives blessing. You know, this motif of salvation and the echoes are pointing through to Jesus and God's far greater plan for so, to be the saviour of the world. That's what's in, it's in, in play here. And finally, I just want to make one last point. And Matthew made this point, Matt, Pastor Matt, that is, a number of weeks ago when we were looking at the story of Rahab when we were looking into the book of Joshua. And that is that the, the Gospel of Matthew in its genealogy records four women in that line. And those four women, firstly, are Tamar. I mean, that, if you read into that, that was a scandalous, incestuous, an awful, deceitful um, relationship that she formed. And uh, you read the, read the details. So I'm not going to elaborate on that. The second was Rahab, whom Matt spoke about. She was a, a prostitute from the, the pagan nation of Canaan. Then we read about Ruth, the Moabites, as I say, a distant cousin to the Israelites, but generally hostile toward them, and Bathsheba, of course, an adulteress. Not the sort of pedigrees for the one who you normally pick for the son of God. However, such is God's plan and he goes after those of the foreigners, those of the outsiders and often those with a bit of a checkered history. As it says in 1 Peter 2 of us, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. 
What a blessing. What incredible uh, gift from God to invite us in to be part of his people. And so that's the story of Ruth in a nutshell. Four chapters. I've skimmed over it pretty quickly, sought to delve into chapter two a little bit and unpack that. But it's the story of God's loving kindness, his covenant loyalty and his grace. It's a reflection of his character and the very essence of God, as it tells us in 1 John, God is love. So what are we to make of all of that? I see two things I'd like us to take away today. One is to reflect again on how we view God. It should transform the way we think about God, his purpose in our world and our place in it. And it should encourage us to always see that he's at work in our unremarkable everyday circumstances. Because let's face it, most of us live pretty ordinary lives. But in the midst of the ordinariness, God is working out his extraordinary plan of salvation, both for us and for our world. So that's the first thing, how we view God. Let's again reflect on that today as we think about God's hesed. And the next thing or the last thing I'd like us to think about is how we see others. Just as the kindness from Ruth to Naomi and Boaz to Ruth, so it is that this is, it should transform the way we view others. As, the, as we work out kindness and mercy and loving um, nurture towards others, reflecting the character of God, as God works his character into us, let us love one another. Let us care for one another, especially in this season when we need to love and show a, bit, a little bit extra care. Because after all, that sort of love is how God reveals himself to a world so desperately lost and so in need of God's saving grace. So let's reflect on that today. Let's bow our heads and let's just pray as we come to a close and I'd invite our worship team to just come and remind us again of God's amazing grace. Let's pray. Our loving Father, we're so, so grateful for your loving kindness, your steadfast love, your mercy, that covenant that you have bound yourself to us, that Father, so undeserving as we are, foreigners grafted in and made to be children of God. Father, such mercy, such kindness, Lord, so undeserved that favour and that merit, that, that um, mercy that you give to us. Father, we thank you for that today. Lord, let us uh, just appreciate you more. Let us worship you acceptably and let us just pour out our hearts in gratitude and thankfulness to you, Father. And Lord, may we love others as you would want to love them through us. Lord, that we would treat them with kindness and love and mercy and grace and all of those attributes that belong to you and are unique to you, Father. And so today, God, fill us with the character of the Lord Jesus Christ so that we might glorify your name. We might give praise to you in all things, Lord God. For we ask this in the precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is forever praised. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for being with us today. Let's worship the Lord together, hey? Eh?